Thanks for listening to Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. On this podcast, we want to offer resources to help you throughout your entire transition. We focus mostly on the early transition and interview phases, but there's also a lot to know about how to succeed in your civilian career once you've accepted a position. Adam Swartz, an account executive with Orion, joins the show to discuss how you can be successful in a civilian career based on his experience transitioning into his first civilian career. We'll talk about the importance of participating in meetings, asking questions, being on time, being aware of how others perceive you, and networking, as well as a few things to avoid. If you're listening to this show on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. We'd love to get your feedback, so make sure you give us a rating. If you have any questions about this show or topics for future podcasts, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Hi, Adam. Thanks for joining the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. So we've had a lot of episodes in the past on this podcast surrounding transition preparation, everything from transition checklists, interview preparation, preparing for roles in specific industries, and everything in between. But what we haven't talked about yet is what to expect when you start a civilian job. So I thought it'd be great to give some do's and don'ts for your first civilian role. And I thought that you would have an interesting perspective on this, given your background. So um, before we get into it, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess I'll start with my kind of beginning of my military career. So uh, born and raised in kind of north central Illinois, um, uh, you know, kind of always had an interest in the military, um, kind of always flirted around with either the service service academies or ROTC uh, when I graduated high school, but never really pursued it. Um, so went to a traditional uh, four-year college. And after my first year and a half, uh, that kind of desire to serve never really went away. Um, so I decided to enlist in the reserves one weekend, walked in the office and said, hey, I want to be a reservist. Sign me up. Tell me where to go. So I ended up in the Marine Corps uh, recruiter's office uh, and enlisted in the reserves in 2008. Um, just kind of, you know, to not on a whim, but to kind of kind of quell that desire that's always been there. So uh, was a combat engineer enlisted in the Marine Corps. Uh, pretty much as soon as I enlisted, I knew I wanted to be uh, more involved. And by that, I, my path was to become an officer. So basically, as soon as I finished my enlisted schooling, I put in my officer's package, um, took some time for that to go through, and then in 2010, uh, I commissioned as an officer uh, in the Marine Corps, uh, became an infantry officer, uh, served my bulk of my active duty time with 2nd Battalion, 6 Marines out of Camp Lejeune, uh, combat deployment to Afghanistan, uh, came back, held various roles in 2-6 uh, in my final role as a company commander uh, when I transitioned out of the uh, Marine Corps on active duty. Um, had a lot of things going on that made me kind of want to transition. Um, I was um, about to be married, about to have a kid on the way. Um, so it was kind of that good uh, good transition point for me was to get out. Uh, as I was getting out, uh, you know, worked with Orion, uh, as well as um, some career searches on my own. Uh, and through that uh, personal career search, I um, secured a role with General Electric uh, in their um, junior officer leadership program which is their program for transitioning jmos um two-year program three eighth month rotations throughout the supply chain business uh specifically uh the appliance business so i had roles in uh, production supervisor product quality project management 
uh, for two years. In the NOF program, I was a uh, warehouse manager uh, as well as a, um, a sourcing professional. So did several there for about five years, um, but never really felt like that was what I was meant to do long term. Uh, supply chain was never really probably the fit for me. Um, I love building relationships with people. I love helping people. Uh, I love working with veterans. So I went back to Orion for a uh, uh, kind of my second job search post GE and through them um, learned about the account executive position and it felt like it was going to uh, hit a lot of those uh, wickets as far as things I wanted to do, uh, you know, as being an account executive. So I've been here for a month uh, working out of the Raleigh office, uh, really enjoying it. Um, definitely a different kind of role in supply chain, but, um, you know, I get to help people every day. So um, it's very rewarding for me. Yeah, and that's very cool. So, you know, your transition is a little bit different because I think a lot of our account executives and recruiters, this is kind of their first job post-military. And so that's why I thought that you would be a great person to interview for this one, given your experience with GE as well. So, you know, for anybody who's had a first day on a new job, which is pretty much all of us, um, you can remember the fear and anticipation that you have for starting the new job. You most likely don't know very many people. You're not sure where you fit in. You probably don't even really know your way around the office. So I'm sure we've all been there at some point. But based on your experience from your own transition and now your experience working with military job seekers, do you have some um, tips for succeeding once you've landed a civilian career? Yeah, sure. There's It's a long list, right, because it is very different. Uh, you know, you become indoctrinated in that military culture, uh, and there's just a certain way of doing things. And then you walk into a uh, civilian environment where the people are different, uh, the tasks are different, and the environment is different. So I guess I'll point to a couple of things. Um, I guess the first thing I would say was, um, you know, participate, right? It's, you're new. It's definitely, um, you know, you, you don't really know what's going on. You don't know the people. Um, you don't know the, the nature of the work, you don't know, you don't know a lot of things, right? So it's going to be your natural tendency to kind of sit, sit back, be a fly on the wall, listen, uh, and that's okay to an extent, um, but you're there for a reason, right? You were interviewed, you were evaluated, you were brought on site, you were hired because you have something to offer. Um, and I think while you might not have that professional civilian experience yet, that military experience that you have is irrelevant, whether it be from a leadership standpoint, from a technical standpoint, just from a diverse look on things standpoint, you've got an opinion that matters. So voice it. You know, know, know what that is and know when the time to interject. You know, you're not going to be the expert on day one. Don't pretend to be. Um, but like I said, you've got a valued opinion and it's okay to express it. Sit at the table. Don't sit in the back. Uh, speak up when you're spoken to, right? Gotta come in, don't mm -hmm. come in too strong, but uh, come in with some confidence and uh, participate as necessary. Oh, I was gonna say, you know, you bring something to the table, you were hired for a reason. So because of that, um, you know, definitely make sure that you speak up because a lot of times companies are seeking a fresh perspective as well. No, absolutely. And diversity is something that's not always, I don't think the military tries to do a good job of this, uh, but as an infantry officer, you know, we'd sit around the conference table and there was zero diversity uh, as far as background, um, race, gender. You know, it was a certain type of people sitting around the table every day and the opinions reflected that. So companies now are looking for a diverse 
um, makeup uh, in those meetings on those shop floors because they want different opinions, right? They want that. They want some kind of healthy internal conflict, um, and that's what you as a veteran can bring in, in, in that aspect. Um, kind of along with being the new guy, um, don't be afraid to ask questions. I think as, you know, in the military and as a veteran, you were kind of told to do something and your job was to show up and go execute, right? Um, hey, Lieutenant, hey, Sergeant, I need you to get this done. Go knock it out, right? And you put your head down and you did it. Um, that's fine if you're, um, because the level of training, the level of experience you get in the military, you could go do that. Um, in the civilian world, it might not be that simple. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. I think civilian organizations tend to be more matrix in that, you know, you can't look at someone's collar or look at someone's privilege and say, I know where you've been, I know what you do, I know what your MOS is. Um, in the civilian world, it can be a lot more complicated. You need buy-in from different groups. The decision maker might not be the boss per se, that might be a subject matter expert in a different area, right? So it's okay to ask questions and figure that kind of stuff out. Um, they definitely want you to be um, aggressive, they want you to be um, decisive, uh, but kind of know when to step back and say, hey, I need help, I need to ask questions. Um, so, and what I always recommend for people when they're starting a job is don't just ask questions and expect to be set answers, right? Come in with your own opinions and your own ideas. Like when you speak to your manager, say, you know, hey manager, you know, hey, I'm having a problem with this, I'm not really sure what to do. I think this is the answer. However, I'd like your input, right? Come with answers, not just questions, but ask the questions. Adam, I definitely agree with what you said about asking questions. I think um, it's definitely important not only to ask questions on your first day on the job, it's important to do it during the interview process. I think that's always a way to show that you're engaged in what's going on. You're trying to learn more about the organization and it just shows that, um, you know, you really are interested and you want to make sure that you're, that you know as much as you can to perform the job to the best of your ability. I think one thing um, that, you know, just in, in terms of asking the questions, you just want to be careful maybe about asking the same question over and over. So if you're asking questions, make sure that you're taking good notes so that you're not asking your manager the same question and maybe they think that you're not paying attention. No, so that's a good point. I think for me, you kind of got to know yourself a little bit too. Uh, I know a lot of people that can ask a question, get a response, and immediately internalize that and remember that forever. I'm not one of those people. Um, I know that I need to take notes. I need to go back and reference those notes. Um, so find a way to take notes in an organized manner, whether it be on something like a you know OneNote Microsoft program where you can search uh, you know prior notes you made or do you like hand notes and where you can date them and go back and say, hey, we talked about this on this date. Before I ask this question again, let me go see what they said. Um, so I, I find that helps me out a lot as well. Mm -hmm. So moving on to the next one that we've talked about, um, not on this podcast, but a little bit offline. So what about being on time? Because I know that that's a big one in the military. You're always expected to be early, but how does that translate into the civilian sector? No, I, I remember the first couple of weeks, uh, on my first civilian job where uh, we had a production meeting and you know it was at three o'clock at the end of the day or whatever it was and I got in there at 245 and I sat down and I didn't see anybody for another 15 almost 20 minutes um, 
and it took me about three or four days and somebody finally walked in and said, why are you always here so early? Like, I mean, you start at three. Why are you here at 245? You're wasting time. I was like, oh, well, I just, I didn't really realize that that was just kind of a habit that was ingrained in me coming out of the Marine Corps uh, that you're 15 minutes early to everything, at least. You know, sometimes where there's a formation or a special event, we're sitting there for 30 minutes, an hour, half a day, um, and just kind of considered part of the culture where you're early to things, right? So just know that in the civilian world, it's okay to be a couple minutes early. I mean, I, I still think you should, um, but, you know, if you become too early and you're just sitting there, you're wasting time. Um, you could be working, you could be finishing up a project, you could be, um, you know, closing down the line for the day, whatever that is in your role. Um, just know that that's not necessarily normal and it's not looked at as a, as a positive thing always. Yeah, definitely. So um, moving on to the next one, perception is reality. So others may perceive you in a way based on your military background that might not be the case. So can you talk about that one a little bit too? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this one was uh, near and dear to me uh, when I first started. So my first role, uh, I was a uh, manufacturing supervisor, right? So I managed 100 plus hourly employees in an assembly line. Um, so day-to-day -day management, uh, running the line, uh, working with uh, for personnel issues, solving problems, uh, you know, making uh, several production metrics. That was my role. Um, and so prior to me arriving, uh, my, my manager, who, who in, in, you know, he was joking, but he would always say to the employees on the line, and I didn't know this, obviously, but he would say, oh, we're bringing in the Marine, straighten this place up, you know, we're bringing in the Marines. Um, mm -hmm. And then obviously, you know, I didn't know this, but everybody's perception, they were kind of making this opinion of me um, before I even showed up. And of course, the opinion, you know, when people hear Marines that aren't necessarily familiar with the military, they go right to some Marine Corps gunnery sergeant in boot camp, you know, with the hat and the attitude and yelling. And so that's what they thought I was going to be, uh, which couldn't have been further from the truth. But that perception was in their heads before I showed up. So I was I was unaware of that. So people were kind of standoffish of me uh, when I showed up. And I kind of had to always work to dispel that stereotype. Um, that being said, I came straight out of the infantry, straight out of a mentality where I moved fast, I leaned into things, I spoke probably a little too concisely, a little too aggressively, um, because that's just how we spoke to each other. So they have this perception of me, I came in acting in a certain way, and I turned a lot of people off. Um, so I think, you know, and that's not going to be everybody's situation, but just know that depending on how you're introduced or depending on how you come into this company, you know, there might be this preconceived notion of who you are as a military person and just be aware of that, right? It's not a bad thing necessarily. Um, just, you know, kind of have that in the back of your head that, you know, they don't know you, they know a way, stereotype of you maybe, um, or hey, you know, mm -hmm. this thing. we're all veterans are messed up, they've got PTSD or something like that, right? So you come in yelling and screaming, that's just going <laughs> to confirm their assumptions, right? But if you come in, like, you know, the, the normal, calm, logical person you are, you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate your openness on that. I think a lot of veterans can relate to that when they're transitioning into the civilian sector. And that's something that we'll loop back to here in a couple minutes, because I also want to talk about, you know, in addition to the things that you should do, I want to talk about some of the things that you shouldn't do. So before we get to that, I think the last main thing that is important when you are transitioning into a civilian role is networking. So can you talk a little bit about that from your experience? 
Yeah, definitely. Networking was hard. Um, it's just kind of, you know, coming out of the military, there is some kind of, I guess you would call formal mentoring structure in place in a lot of the branches, but it's not really networking in the civilian sense. Um, you know, in the military, it's you're going to go do a job for two or three years. The monitor or whomever that is in your service is going to say, oh, you're going here next, right? You don't need to make career decisions independently. Those are kind of dictated to you and you go where you're told and you grow where you're planning and all those other things. Um, networks become valuable in the civilian world because your career path is not necessarily defined. Um, your professional development um, framework is not necessarily defined. So you'll grow and you'll move within that company and outside to other companies if you choose based on your professional networks. Um, it's incredibly important, but it, become, it becomes incredibly unnatural for us um, as veterans because it really forces you to put yourself out there. Um, you know, to walk into someone's office or attend a networking event where you just have to kind of go up and introduce up to people that don't know you. Hey, I'm Adam. I'm new. You know, I started X many months ago. I'm doing this as a role, you know, and just shake their hand and, and get the conversation going. That's hard, um, especially if, you know, you're an introvert by nature and you're not used to doing it, it becomes different. Um, so, and I think in that, in going out and seeking mentors, you know, my natural tendency was to say, well, I'm a veteran recently transitioned to the civilian world. I'm going to go seek a veteran mentor. And that's great. And I think that's important. Um, but just kind of go out and seek mentors that have different backgrounds than yourself. Um, you know, mentors that are more senior in the company, less senior in the company, that are male, that are female, are from different cultural backgrounds than you, different professional paths than you've taken or plan to take. Um, that just gives you different perspectives and it goes kind of back to the diversity of thought I talked to earlier. Um, you know, it's easy to kind of pigeonhole yourself as this veteran. I'm a veteran and I'm going to talk to veterans and I'm going to, you know, that's, that's what I know that that's, that's just going to kind of narrow your path uh, going forward. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it, it, once I got good at networking and I sought out unique, diverse mentors at different levels, you know, I all of a sudden, my career path all of a sudden opened up. I think I moved by the nature of the program and by the timing of things in my five years at, uh, at General Electric, I probably moved six times. And every single one of those moves was either directly because of a relationship with a mentor, as in, hey, Adam, I've got this opening. I want you to come take it. Or it was, oh, hey, well, I'm my speak and in speaking to my mentor was that hey well i know him over here let me make an introduction to you and you can go see him right so through developing that network and that network of mentors um it opened up a huge set of doors for me to move laterally uh, and up uh in my uh civilian roles mm -hmm. um i think that those are all really good points and i think um we always do kind of I guess, um, suggest that veterans find other veterans within the organization that have been successful that can mentor them. But I really like the idea that you brought up about diversity of thought and finding people from different backgrounds, because it, while it is good to have a veteran employee who can you can relate to and they can kind of share their struggles and successes with you, it's also nice to have someone that does come from a completely different background because you will learn things from them that you likely would not learn from someone who has the exact same background as you. So as I mentioned before, there were some things that, you know, we would circle back and talk about 
some of the things that you should avoid doing if you're new to the civilian workforce. So, um, you know, going back to the point that you made about people maybe not being as familiar with your background and perceiving you in a certain way and then you acting in accordance with that, so kind of confirming what they had thought. There are a few other ones, and I read an article recently on task and purpose that kind of goes along with um, something that you said about a stereotype that people might have about a veteran, especially maybe someone from the Marine Corps, and they might think that you're a little bit aggressive. So on this list, number one on the list was calling people out on mistakes and being too blunt. So I'm sure that's something that, you know, is kind of commonplace in the military, but in the civilian world, especially if you're new to an organization, you definitely want to soften your approach a little bit and the things that you say to people. You don't want to call people out on um, mistakes necessarily, at least not in a way that could be seen as aggressive. And you definitely want to make sure that you know your audience when you're speaking to people and keep in mind that it is different from being in the military. Is that something you can relate to as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think when you said know your audience, that was a good a really good point to highlight because I think in the in, in the military there is a bluntness and there is a directness that's there and you know there's typically it's typically not managed to a certain audience as in you know lieutenant over here or captain over here or sergeant over there deals with criticism differently it's not really taken into consideration right it's like okay this is what I need you to do or hey you messed up or you know it's very blunt and very direct and it's not tailored to your audience ever right so I think Knowing your audience, the lay sense, um, is important here because there is certain areas of a business and certain businesses in general that do in, do kind of uh, do appreciate uh, a directness to a degree. Um, you know, especially I always found that working in a manufacturing environment, you know, i.e. in a factory um, or you know distribution environment where it's kind of a uh, there's a directness there that's generally appreciated, right? Then I've worked in IT and office and project management management environments where um, typically you've got to use a little more tact because bluntness comes off as mm -hmm. aggressive and frightening, right? So mm -hmm. uh, know the audience, know your environment, but I think just initially initially coming uh, out of the service, just kind of you know be aware and tone it down probably <laughs> because I can yeah. I can guarantee that you know it's easy to if you come in too strong or you come in and, and kind of rattle a lot of cages, it's tough to kind of to take that down, right? But you can always kind of ramp it up a little bit. So just come in, you know, mm -hmm. be tactful, be um, be aware um, of the certain personalities that you're dealing with or managing, depending on your situation, and tailor your communication style to them, um, because it's mm -hmm. not a one size fits all like it is in the military. Mm -hmm. And you know, not to say that you know the bluntness in the military is a negative thing by any means. It's just as we've said, it's knowing your audience, and a lot of times in the military, you've got you know, a lot of things at stake, you've got a lot of moving parts, you have a lot of, um, you know, high stake missions that you're working on. And so in that case, you really do need to be blind, direct, you don't need, um, you know, to figure out, okay, how can I make sure that I'm tailoring my communication to my audience, you just need to make sure that you get the mission accomplished. So in that instance, of course, that's what's, that's what's needed, but it is a little bit different in the civilian environment. So just wanted to clarify that we weren't saying that it was a negative thing, just completely different audiences. No, absolutely correct. And, you know, moving on, so this task and purpose list has three military behaviors that don't work in the civilian workplace. The so number two is being too much of a team player. So obviously teamwork is something that is 
of course, desired and necessary in the military. It's desired as well in the civilian workforce. But I think, um, you know, one of the things that they talked about on this list is just if you, so in the military, you are always making sure that you don't really take credit. Um, you want to give all the credit to the team. But in the civilian workforce, if you operate by those rules, then you might miss out on promotion or leadership opportunities. Is that something that you've seen or would you, um, would you contest that or do you agree with it? No, I think I generally agree with it. I, I think it depends on which circumstance, right? Because I think a lot of civilian organizations do truly value teamwork. Um, a lot of companies are pushing towards, you know, very collaborative, open environments uh, in order to accomplish their goals. So I think being a team player is an important, and obviously coming from the military, you know how to do that well. I think the key here is when do I highlight my individual successes and my individual performance? Um, you know, kind of, I guess I see it in two areas specifically. I see it in, uh, for military veterans, I see it in, in the interview process more than anything where a veteran will get up and say, well, we accomplished, uh, we accomplished this or my team accomplished this. Um, and that's, that's important, right? But the person interviewing you wants to know what you did. What did you do to accomplish this? What was your part in this? Um, how many people did you lead? How many projects did you manage, right? They wanna know what you did because you're selling yourself and that's unnatural to us. Um, so I guess first and foremost, the interview process, that's, I see it every day and I always uh, harp on that and it's tough. I get it. I think in the other side is in performance evaluations. So much like the military, a lot of civilian uh, corporations do have a um, formalized, you know, employee review structure in place, whether it be annualized, semi-annual, whatever. Um, you're kind of responsible for reporting out on what you did. Um, so again, kind of just like that job interview example, hey, this is what I did. These are the products that I managed. These are the initiative that I took. Um, you've got to know when to highlight yourself. And I think too, in the civilian world, you're typically evaluated on metrics, individual metrics more than you are on team metrics, right? Well, they want to see the team succeed, but you're going to be given individual tasks that you have to accomplish. Uh, and sometimes mm -hmm. that, you know, is tough because it depends on three or four other people that you might not necessarily be directly in charge of, that you've got to indirectly manage or work with. And it's hard, you kind of have to say, well, you know, this is what's number one on my list, I've got to get it done, you know, and then you know, need to know how to get buy-in from those other people too. So keep your metrics in mind, keep your annual report in mind, um, but keep in mind you're still a team player. So it's, it's kind of a, uh, you know, a, a tough answer to give, but you kind of got to know what you've got to deliver on and what you're going to have to stand in front of your manager and talk about at the end of the year, the end of the month. Uh, so you always have mm -hmm. to keep that in mind. And at the end of the day, the more that you're accomplishing, the more that you're hitting those metrics and all the things that you talked about, the more that you can contribute to a team at the end of the day. So um, it's definitely a balancing act for sure. Now, the third thing um, that's on this list, that's the third and final thing, is talking to people in person instead of online. So basically, like in the military, you're used to talking to people in person, whereas in the civilian world, maybe everyone does things through instant messenger or email, which I know is definitely the case. And I'm sure it's um, even more so in the past, you know, 10, 5, 10 years, just because of all of the digital advances, people working remote, different things, you kind of get used to working or you kind of get used to working with your coworkers 
on more of an online slash phone basis. So on this list, they're basically saying, you know, make sure that you kind of see what the office norms are before you walk up to talk to people for every little question that you have to ask them. Yeah, no, I, you make a good point. It's it's about knowing the culture and the work style in your environment. So coming out of the Marine Corps, I barely had a computer. I mean, I'd make a spreadsheet when we went to the field every once in a while, and I'd occasionally answer an email. Um, but we worked entirely in person on pen and paper, um, you know, very removed from technology except for when we absolutely had to. I think four of us shared one computer at one point, right? So coming to General Electric where that's the first thing you get is your computer, your cell phone, your, you know, tele teleconferencing accounts, you know, all those things are like number one priority because that's how you communicate. Um, and I mean, I think in the, the Marine Corps, I'd get maybe five or six emails a day on a busy day. And my, you know, at some roles in GE, I would get two, 300. Um, mm -hmm. So definitely to get a feel for how people communicate and know when to communicate in certain ways, right? Just because everyone likes to communicate online doesn't mean you always have to communicate online. Um, you know, if you've got something important or something critical to relay to somebody, it's okay to get up and walk to their office or to their building and have a face-to-face -face conversation. Sometimes you need that to kind of get that extra level of interaction. You can get something in email and the tone of that email may come across not as you intend it, just maybe you've got to deliver a hard message or um, a difficult conversation, hey, maybe go have that in person because one emails and you know, you know anyone who emails or texts can understand that sometimes things can be misconstrued a little bit, you know, based off that person's perception. But if you go and talk to them in person, it's usually a different conversation. So no one to pick up the phone, no one to walk over to someone's office, and just no one it's an email, right? Critical things should be a call or a in-person conversation. Less critical stuff can be an email because it might have to sit there for a little bit, right? So know to mm -hmm. understand the organization you work in and then understand that depending on what message you're giving or receiving, how you approach that. Yeah, I think that's great advice. So Adam, do you have any other advice based on your transition into a civilian career? Yeah, I think if I could just highlight one thing, you know, we sat, we've sat and talked for the last, you know, 20, 30 minutes about all the do's and don't do's, right? But I think it's important to kind of take away as, as we finish up is that they hired you because you are you, right? They desire the military background. They desire the skill sets. They like the traits um, and the, uh, the traits and the personality you have coming on military. That's desire. They, they hired you for, for some of that, right? So don't try to be a different person. Don't try to um, totally change who you are and how you work. Um, Cause that's, that's not the right thing to do. And, it's not genuine and it'll be tough, right? And you'll fail. So just be yourself, but just kind of be aware, right? Kind mm -hmm. of know yourself and seek self-improvement is what we always said in the Marine Corps, right? So know, know the kind of personality you have, know the kind of perception that's there of you and just kind of manage that, right? But be yourself. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I think that's a perfect way to close this. So Adam, thank you very much for joining us today. I think your input's been very helpful. Good, I hope so. I appreciate the, the, the time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have any feedback, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. 
Our goal is to help all military job seekers through their transition and beyond. So make sure you share our show with your friends. See you next time.